0: Great to be with you again this morning. So I'm thankful for the privilege to be here, and uh, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe you're already there from the scripture reading, but as we're uh, preparing to look at the scripture, there I just want to tell you about uh, uh, my opening explanation illustration here. Um, My children and I have sometimes watched a TV show. Perhaps you've seen them. Um, There's shows like America, American Ninja Warrior, perhaps you've heard of, or Ultimate Beastmaster is a Netflix uh, version of a similar kind of thing. Um, and the second and third season, I think, for the, the Beastmaster was something we were watching for a little bit, and it was kind of fascinating. Um, people doing these incredible feats of uh, human strength, trying to jump across large distances to make to the other side, or hanging and having to crawl upwards you know uh, just their hands and their entire body weight Um, just many different incredible physical things that they had to do to try and beat the others and you know and and the beastmaster they they basically climb up this straight wall really high with barely any gripping that they can they can find to get all all the way up just incredible incredible acts of human strength and it's kind of fascinating to watch those things i mean obviously i know that my age and condition i'm not going to be able to do those kind of things but there's something about us isn't there that just marvels and and finds joy or satisfaction in human achievement perhaps it's not these shows for you perhaps it's the olympics Um, sometimes the olympics can be fun to watch because it's the height of what human beings are able to achieve physically and it's just sometimes very fascinating or exciting to see what people can do but in the Christian life our physical strength uh, and in a sense any strength within us is really not what it's about it's really about the strength of Christ and God's strength operating through us. And as what we're going to see from the passage we're looking at today is that, in fact, our strength, our physical or emotional or other strengths we might have actually sometimes can be a barrier to God's working. And so many times he works through our weaknesses because that better shows his strength, his glory. Now, before we read the passage again, um, at least the subset of what we read earlier, and talk about it, I wanted to explain the word weakness. I am using weakness in a way that kind of represents several different things. And I do that because I believe that is really how Paul and God, even in answering Paul, speaks to weakness, So we see Paul mention here weakness in 2 Corinthians, but we also see him mention words like hardships or troubles or distresses. So there are different kinds of things that are spoken of, but when I'm speaking of weakness in the context of this message, generally speaking, you should understand it to mean broadly those kinds of things. And I think a way to help understand how that connects together is that all of these situations reveal that fundamentally, as human beings, we are weak. There are limitations to what we can do. We are vulnerable. We are weak when compared to God. And all of these kinds of situations highlight our need for God and the weakness of our flesh or the weakness of our vulnerable human condition. So as we look at this, let's remember to keep those things in mind. And what I want you to see this morning, as we look at 2 Corinthians and focus in particular on chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, is that ultimately, we should rejoice that Christ is exalted through the display of his strength in our weaknesses. So we're going to start with verse 7 and read there, down to verse 10, and talk about our weakness and God's strength. It says in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that I it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see here this morning as we look at 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about human weakness and the strength of Christ. And we see, first of all, that our weaknesses, as we see in verse 7, humbles us. Our weaknesses humble us. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, I I don't know where you've been working through in your scripture study um, before I got here. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context of 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is written by Paul the Apostle to the church at Corinth, and as uh, you may know, the church was started on Paul's second missionary journey, as we see in Acts 18, and 1 Corinthians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul also, contained a lot of confrontation about wrong things in the church, with that being highlighted very clearly in 1 Corinthians 5 in particular, but we see in 2 Corinthians that comes in response to some tension between the church and paul um and some have stirred up trouble against paul and and have challenged his apostleship in spite of the ministry he's had among them but he is affirming his love for them and in chapters 10 through 13 where we find our section in particular here he is vindicating his ministry and we see that he even speaks to his physical weakness. So if you turn with me to chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, you'll see where he'll even talk about this or how this is leveled as a criticism against him. In 2 Corinthians 10, we see in verse 9, where Paul says, For I do not wish to seem as if I, were, I would terrify you by my letters, for they say, this is the criticism of Paul by his opponents, his letters are weighty and strong but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible so there were some things about him that were um, seemingly physically weak his presence his physical presence was not a strong towering muscular uh, one of these Olympic or uh, athletes that we'd see that kind of presence it wasn't like that he was uh, an average person, uh, insignificant person in present, in, when he was present with them. So there's an element of truth to the fact that he's probably physically weak. There, That wasn't what was great about the Apostle Paul. It wasn't his physical qualities. Um, we do see in chapter 11 a whole lot of mention of spiritual strength that Paul had and some amazing accomplishment accomplishments and experiences that he had notice how he defends himself in in chapter 11 verse 1 and talking about his qualifications verse 1 he says i wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness but indeed you are bearing with me and then he goes on verse 5 he says for i consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostles But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So he's acknowledging this criticism. People are making fun of how he speaks. So there's something about the way he speaks that, you know, maybe isn't normal or what you might expect from a powerful, dominant, or significant person. So he's saying my speech might be this way, but he's pointing out he has knowledge. As an apostle, he had uh, gifts from God. He was equipped by God to uh, lead the the churches and and start many churches. And he was used by God to give revelation. In fact, you, you read Peter. Peter, in talking about Paul, says about Paul, some of the things that Paul had written were sometimes hard to understand. So Peter himself, one who had followed Christ from the earliest days of his ministry, Peter is saying about Paul, he's revealing things that are complicated or kind of hard to understand. They're deep. So what Paul is saying is true. He does have a deep knowledge. He has been given some revelation by God that's significant, that's uh, hard perhaps to understand. But Paul is pointing out, though he's physically weak, he. Is spiritually strong. He has some uh, experiences and some revelation that God has given him. Look at his suffering. We see in 21 to 29 of, of chapter 11 there some of the things that Paul suffered. This is incredible. Look at what Paul had to go through. He says, But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I are they servants of christ i speak as if i'm insane i'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments beaten times without number often in danger five times i received from the jews thirty nine lashes three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night and day i've spent in the deep i've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers dangers from robbers dangers from my countrymen dangers from the gentiles dangers in the city dangers in the wilderness dangers on the sea dangers among false brethren i have been in labor and hardship though many through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure apart from such external things there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches who is weak without my being weak who is led into sin without my intense concern So we see Paul has been through a lot of things. He's suffered a lot. He has endured many things. And he says the thing about which he is going to boast, the thing about which he's going to take glory in or he's going to rejoice in is his weakness. Look, verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. And that's what we see is the emphasis here in this passage in 2 Corinthians twelve seven to 10 where Paul is talking. He is focused on weakness and how Christ is glorified through our weakness. So weakness is a good thing. Our weakness is a good thing. But interestingly, Paul, after pointing out all these things he's been through, mentions that he himself was vulnerable to pride. Paul is talking about weakness in this passage in particular because he was vulnerable to pride. He says to keep me, verse 7, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul was an apostle. He had a lot of accomplishments, a lot of things Ultimate, and We know God did it, but God used Paul in some incredible ways. In some ways, we wouldn't want any part of what he went through. In other ways, we think, wow, that'd be really cool. But Paul had some incredible ways in which God used him. And not only that, like we said, he had been given revelation by God that even some of the other apostles didn't find it easy to understand. So Paul mentions that he is vulnerable to pride. And this is an important part of why he needed to be weak. Because he was vulnerable to pride. And in fact, if we're honest, if we understand the scriptures, we recognize this is not a problem that was unique to Paul because of his situation. In fact, this is normal for the human condition. How did it all start? What does it start with? John tells us that there are three core desires in, in the human sinful flesh. What are those? They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? These are root sinful desires of mankind. It's not unique to Paul. We see it with Eve starting back in the garden. She experienced these three things, right? The lust of the eyes, it's fruit that's good to look at that she wasn't supposed to eat and Adam wasn't supposed to eat. It was good to look at. It was desirable from what I can see. It was desirable as food for the flesh, for my body. It was something good and tasty and I would enjoy consuming. And it is to make one wise that you'll be like God, the pride of life. These three root sins we see all the way back in the garden are common in the human experience. And we see also, uh, we are just talking in Sunday school, and. Uh, our church last week about the tower of Babel, the city of Babel and how they were building that city in defiance against God. And they wanted to build a tower that would reach unto the heavens. They were arrogant and they were doing it in defiance against God and they're arrogant because he had told them to scatter out and fill the earth. But they, in their arrogance wanted to defy God and it build, it says, build a name for themselves, pride, It is a root human condition. It's common to all of us, and it is therefore something we all are going to battle. And one of the ways in which God battles it in our lives is to make us realize our weakness. Or in some cases, perhaps bring things in our lives that make us weak. Because what happens when we are weak is, is it makes us realize the reality of our human condition. So it is an alignment with reality. And that's good for us because we recognize what God says is true. We're weak, we're human, and we need the Almighty. We're weak And, and I can't help. I don't wanna focus on this. I didn't wanna have tons of conversations about it to be honest with you today. But in light of what we're dealing with in our country, I find it interesting. I didn't choose this message based on what's going on, but I think it's fascinating to think about. Our country, in many ways, is great. There are many things about our country is great, and I think in many ways, the, the wisdom of our founding fathers and setting up what they said has been fantastic, and has been wonderful, and has continued for a couple hundred years, and I hope it continues to continue. But our country, like many other countries, in light of the shortness of life we are weak there is a sense in which simple things can harm us or destroy us and even if things don't uh, this virus doesn't even have real long-term significant impact it has exposed our fears, our, our weakness in being strong and dealing with it, or our wisdom in, in crafting plans to deal with it. But it, it exposes. We're weak. The human condition is weak. And it's, I'm not picking on the U.S. or comparing us. My point is, human beings, we're weak. And this is a great time to remember the fragility of human life. Our lives are vapors. Our life, even if we live to be 90 or 100, in the grand scheme of eternity, that's very short. We need God. And we need to be careful not to be arrogant. Thinking, and this is one of the reasons why I think in a way it's good, just because our 401K or our 403B is doing well doesn't mean we're strong. I think there are many things about our economy that are good. But the things we're experiencing are reminders of the frailty of human life, and we need God. May God use it to bring revival. That'd be great. But ultimately, as a believer in Jesus Christ, he is the one we trust, not the things we can see, not the money in the bank, not the job that I have, not the physical health that I have right now. My trust is in Christ. He is strong. He may allow me to have a good job. He may allow me to make good money. He may give me good health. But he may also take those things away. But that doesn't change who he is or my need for him. And one of the things you see if you look at the Old Testament and many of the things that God repeatedly told Israel when they were going into land, you remember? When they are going into land, he repeatedly told them, When things go well for you, when you have that milk and that honey and you have things go well, be careful that you don't forget me. And that can happen in our human condition. When things go well, sometimes we do forget him. We need to recognize weakness humbles us. And that's good because it helps us get realigned with reality. We are small. He is great. Now notice in Paul talking about being humbled here, he talks about the process of humiliation. He says about himself in verse 7 that he was given a thorn. He was given a thorn. And I believe this is a picture. I don't think he had a literal thorn. I think we understand that. It's symbolic of some kind of problem. And there has been much debate. What is this thorn that Paul had? Um, I think we can, we, we're not going to solve today what that problem is. I, I just uh, disappoint you right now. The point is, it's a picture of something painful. That, that's what's significant to us. And I think many times in scriptures, we don't know the specifics so that the application is easily made general for all of our benefit as readers. So I think it's, purposeful we don't know the specific details because we simply understand this is a problem that is painful I remember some of my earliest days of childhood hearing the story and I don't even remember what it's called uh, my wife can probably straighten me out later I forgot to check with her but um, the, the story where the, the lion has a thorn in his paw right and, and it's crying I remember as a kid thinking this is silly a lion is crying why would a lion be crying? But you understand from the story, there's a, a thorn in its paw, and it hurts. It's painful. And that's the idea. That's what Paul's saying. I've got something in my life that is painful to me. It hurts me. It's difficult. And I, and I think understanding the spiritual maturity of Paul, as we've made kind of clear, he was a pretty mature Christian, He's not just belly aching because he's dealing with something difficult. Perhaps there is some ministry impact to this thing going on in his life too. And so he's dealing with this painful problem. And notice that it's personal. What What does he say? He says, there was given to me. It's framed in language of being a gift from God specifically for him. This is a painful problem he's dealing with. It's uniquely crafted by God for him. And what does Paul do? Like any good Christian, what's he going to do about it? He's going to pray about it. All right? Well, I don't want to get too far down the road on that yet because we'll talk about that more. But he's going to pray about it. He, He wants it resolved. But... Notice the immediate purpose for it, he says in verse 7 There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. For what reason? Why was this given to him? To torment me. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and sometimes things like this, I think, why would God do this? Why? Why does God allow extremely painful things like this? He does. He clearly does. Paul says, he's not framing it like, hey, I've got this kind of hard thing that I'm dealing with and it, it can be difficult once in a while, but hey, I know it's a good thing. No, he said, this torments me. This rattles me. This is difficult. This is painful. This is hard, and and the language is like being beaten up. It's like he's being slapped around by this. Now, I, I was thinking, uh, as an illustration, you know, if you, as a father, have a son who gets in a fight with a with a bully or something, and and, they're, and the bully's beating him up, or it's going to be hard for you to just sit and let that happen, right? You know, I need my. F- son to learn to fight, right? Um, God's allowing these tough things to happen in our lives. Why? He has all control, right? Why would he allow something really painful to happen to us? Well, Paul gives us one of the reasons right here in verse 7. What did he say? To keep me from exalting myself. In fact, did you notice in looking at verse 7, how many times is it mentioned? It's mentioned twice in verse 7. To keep me from exalting myself. It's mentioned more than one time. Paul is pointing out the reason for this terribly difficult thing in his life is because it is humbling him. And that's good. And he's going to explain more about it as we go on. But we need to recognize God does allow really hard things. I don't want to go into details of some of the worst things in my life, but you, like me, there's been moments, have there not, in your Christian walk where you have said, what is God doing here? Why is this happening to me? That happens sometimes, and that kind of thing was happening to Paul, it's very difficult, very hard, and he didn't understand at the time. Now he, with hindsight, is looking back saying, to humble me and it's good for me, but he didn't know that at the time, he didn't have that mindset right away, He, he was struggling with it. And then we see in verses eight and nine, he explains, not only does our weakness humble us, it also helps us rely, on God's grace. So we see in verse 8 he is caused to pray as we as we already discussed. He said in verse 8, "Concerning this I employed or implored the Lord." So concerning this I implored implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So it caused him to pray. It caused him to pray repeatedly. He prayed multiple times. So we see here the right example by Paul. What did he do in response to his hard thing? Exactly what you should do. Pray about it. That's what problems do. They drive us to God. It's exactly what we need. And we express our dependence in, on God by going to Him in prayer. That's why we pray. It is a clear reflection of the fact that we need Him and we need His help. And it's also part of our relationship. He is our Heavenly Father. We talk to Him, we communicate with Him. We can also go to Him and praise Him, and there's other reasons to talk to Him besides just problems. But sometimes the problems drive us to Him. And that's what Paul's saying. He's the right example here. He prays repeatedly. He doesn't get the answer right away, so he prays again. And and he says in this case that he prayed three times. What is the subject of his prayer? What is he asking God for? Spiritual Apostle Paul, what's he praying for? Take it away. He is praying for God to take it away. I mean, sometimes we get super spiritual and we say oh you know God has a purpose for trials and you just need to endure it and go through it and that's true many times Paul prayed for it to go away and there's nothing wrong with that we can start there but many times that's not what God's will is sometimes he will protect us from things sometimes he will keep things away sometimes he'll get us out of things quickly but sometimes he won't because he has a bigger purpose Not just for you to pray to get out of it. Sometimes he may be glorified through it. I tell you with all this stuff going on, I've been fighting it. No, 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 calm down, calm down. It's it's, going to be fine, it's going to be fine. But you know what? I realize I can't control this. All this stuff going on, I can't control. I have to submit to what my authorities are telling me to do, and I have to follow and trust God as a purpose. We need to trust God, and it's not wrong to pray for his deliverance. But we need to pray and ultimately be willing to submit our prayers to his direction. In this case, Paul prayed to get out of it, that it might leave him, that it may change. In this case, it was a no. But we see here God's answer. What is God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes when we talk about grace, we focus on unmerited favor us being given things we didn't earn don't deserve um and that is what we speak of as grace many times and the scriptures do use grace that way many times certainly with the application of christ's death burial and resurrection that be his righteousness being applied to our account us being able to have forgiveness through the work that he's accomplished yes there is that kind of grace we didn't deserve it But that is not the only way grace is used in Scripture. Here, grace has to do with the enabling or the strengthening power that God gives us to hold up under difficult circumstances. Or it's the changing power that works in our lives to transform us to be more like Christ. That's the kind of grace we're talking about here. God says, my grace my power at work in your life my provision for you is sufficient for what you need you have what you need even if you continue to go through this terrible painful problem that you're dealing with my grace is sufficient do we believe that is his grace sufficient we need to be trusting his grace But he also goes on and says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So I believe there's a parallel idea here with the grace and the strength and the the perfection and weakness here. God is saying, you are weak, but I am strong, and your weakness is highlighting my strength. It is exposing or giving opportunity for the glory of God's strength to be shown through your weakness. And family devotions, we were just recently going through the story of Gideon. If you remember Gideon, they were under the the misery of the Midianites at the time, were oppressing them, and they would come and burn their fields, and they wouldn't have food, they'd be very destitute. And there's a time in which God calls Gideon, and Gideon starts getting together an army, and they have 32,000 men. And what does God say? It's too many. It's too many. You need to get rid of some. So he pairs it down to 10,000, 10,000 men. Now, the Midianites, we were kind of working through the passage, and I don't think we saw an exact number of Midianites, but the implication is that it's much more than 10,000. But God says about the 10,000, it's still too many. And then there's the episode at the water, whether they get down and lick it up or they use their hands to scoop it up, and he, he narrows the group down to a whopping 300, 300. 300 men are going to take on all these Midianites that have been impress, oppressing them for a long time. they a very large group of people. And then they're not only going to take them on, they're going to take trumpets and jars. <laughs> I mean, humanly speaking, we would look at that if, the, if we didn't know God was behind it. We'd look at that and think, this is crazy. Humanly speaking, there's no way that tactic is going to result in their victory. So, but that's exactly why God does it. Because it's clear the human beings were not the ones who got the victory. It was God. God gave them the victory. But they obeyed God. They took the jars and the torches. They broke the jars. They blew the trumpets. The Midians got freaked out. And they all started killing each other and running away screaming. And then some other Israelites began to join in and help help take them out, and God got the victory, but the glory belongs to God. Clearly, those 300 men weren't Amer- American ninja warriors, right? Th- that wasn't it. The glory goes to God. Our human weakness reveals that it only God that could do such a thing. It clearly wasn't them, and this process that paul describes here and this answer of relying on god's grace it also then results in the changing of our perspective we see the change of perspective that happens with paul in the second half of verse nine in response to this he says most gladly therefore i will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of christ may dwell in me There is a reaction of joy. There is a realization that there's a purpose for this weakness, for this problem, for this difficulty. There's a purpose and there's a greater goal that the power of Christ would be displayed in our lives. And that is therefore cause for joy even if the painful problem we're dealing with is not good or exciting. And again, I I, I don't wanna focus too much on this, but I I would just tell you, there was a period of time in my my life where I went through some of the darkest time I've ever been in as a believer. And there was just a very, very difficult thing we dealt with, uh, with one of our children, older child. And I was embarrassed. I felt like a failure as a dad. And I just, and my wife knows this very well, there were times, there were days where I was dreadfully afraid of how things were going to go, what was going to happen, scared, embarrassed, fearful. And yet during that time, I remember riding in the car with my dad, who is not a believer and has never really been that engaged or interested in any of the things that have gone on in my conversion and things like that. I mean, he's, he understands, and from a distance and in a way, he kind of respects it. But my dad, during that time we're going through some of the worst of it, made reference to the fact that he and the rest of the family were marveling at our faith. Here here I am on the brink of despair about how I failed and all these terrible, difficult things we're dealing with. And God's using it to show his power in our lives. It stands out to me to this day in, in, in awe. Did I enjoy those things we went through? Absolutely not. Do I ever want to go through anything like that again? Absolutely not. And yet God worked in such a way that he was glorified through that. I did more recently have a conversation with my father about the gospel, and one of the fascinating things was I was talking to my dad about the gospel, and and he was making reference to people who weren't consistent Christians or people who didn't live consistent with what they said as far as the Christian faith. But he, he made it very clear that he recognized my wife and I, or our family, wasn't like that. And we're average believers like you. My point is, I think some of these trials and things that God has taken us through, though they were utterly difficult and hard and painful, God used for his glory. And people, they, humanly, they don't know God, so they'll in some ways give you credit But really, it's part of our job is to refer them back to the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. We know it. God is glorified in those terrible circumstances. Our weaknesses, our difficulties, our persecutions, our hardship, they make us rely on God. And we see ultimately, therefore, that it honors Jesus Christ. Our weakness brings honor to Jesus Christ. Look at how Paul concludes in verse 10. Paul says in verse 10, Therefore... I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's attitude is completely changed. He talks about how he now rejoices in weakness. Not that the painful thing he's dealing with was all of a sudden magically wonderful. But in comparison... The glory that goes to God was worth it. Now that he understands there's a purpose for it, he can therefore rejoice and trust and praise God because of what he's going through. He sees that Christ is glorified. And therefore, in the grand scheme, in the big picture, he can take pleasure at how God is working in his life and is an incredible encouragement for us. Now, I should also make very clear Clear that we need to be careful that we do not suffer because of our own foolishness, right? Peter, in fact, warns about this in 1 Peter 4.15. He's dealing with the subject of suffering. And Peter says, make sure that none of you suffer as an evildoer, right? We need to be careful. There are times we bring trouble on ourselves because we do wrong. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about things where we didn't do anything wrong we didn't dishonor God or we didn't fail, but we're suffering, we're going through hardships or we're experiencing weakness, we should praise God that it is an opportunity for his power to be displayed. Whether it's physical, financial, family, work, home, whatever it may be, God may bring or national or uh, international God may bring difficulty, trials, and hardship, but it should remind us to get in proper alignment. We are humble creatures. We are but dust. We need God. It should drive us to rely on him as we express through prayer. We should pray. We should ask God about our troubles. Nothing wrong with praying about our troubles and praying that he may change things and bring us out of it. But we need to be willing to accept sometimes he's not going to or not going to anytime soon. And we need to be able to trust him in that and ultimately give him praise that he will be exalted through the display of our weakness, displaying his strength in our weakness. We should rejoice in that and give him thanks for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not, as as human beings, we do not naturally enjoy suffering. And we know from what we see here and what we see in other places, we're not intended to naturally enjoy suffering. I pray, Father, that that would not be anyone's takeaway. I pray that you'd help us all, though, to understand the big picture and that you use suffering, you use our weakness, you use the terrible things we go through to show your power and we want that we want you to be glorified we want you to be glorified in our lives we want you to be glorified in the church we want you to be glorified in our nation we want you to be glorified in the nations help us father to be great examples of those who trust you walk with you and rejoice not because we're dealing with something painful and it's fun to have pain but because we know that these pains, these difficulties have a greater purpose so that Christ would be exalted in our lives and help us to joyfully submit to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.